Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian, joined remotely by Kevin Olson. How you guys doing? And hopefully this is the last remote recording we have for a while. I should be coming back to Colorado pretty soon, and that means Kevin and I will be able to sit down face-to-face, mano-e-mano, to talk over some of this news. But until then, you'll just have to settle for the next best thing. But we got plenty of news to get into across eight major basins within the United States, so we're just going to go ahead and kick it off, starting with Colorado and the DJ Niobrara Basins. Civitas commits to plugging orphaned wells in Colorado. Out of good faith, Civitas Resources announced that they are voluntarily, that's the key word there, plugging 42 of the 410 total abandoned wells in Colorado. The wells were previously orphaned by other operators in the area that Civitas is now operating in. The move by Civitas sets a good example for other Colorado operators, and they hope others will follow in their footsteps as Colorado's first carbon-neutral oil and gas producer. Quote, we are proud to eliminate these wells for the benefits of the communities where we live and work, end quote, said Civitas Chief Sustainability Officer. And while I do like this, I think other companies might be upset because there's states out here like California and others who are providing incentives to plug these wells. And now you've got people just the crazy ones of the bunch going ahead and doing it out of their own goodwill. So I'm really interested to see how other companies react to this. Well, and here's the thing, Tavis, I totally agree that this is out of good faith and goodwill, but I also think it's definitely, you know, you kind of got to read through the lines a little bit. It's definitely some marketing as well, but I mean, I think it's great marketing. It's saying, you know, here's a problem that we've recognized in the state of Colorado. This isn't a problem that we caused, but you know what? We want to keep operating in this area, in this state. So we're going to do our best to try and take care of this. So, I mean, I, I do think at the end of the day that there is nothing but good news in this story. Um, and I'm just hoping that maybe other operators in not just Colorado, but maybe other states start taking this and, and even take it further in their own hands. But enough of this. Let's talk about tall grass. Wyoming has ambitious goals to become not only carbon neutral, but carbon negative. The top coal producer in the country believes carbon sequestration will be the key to reaching those goals. Tallgrass Energy received a state grant to fund their commercial carbon capture and sequestration project in the DJ Basin of Wyoming. The fund will be utilized in 2022 to begin drilling wells and other development activities. If the project goes to plan, it will be the beginning of a carbon sequestration network stretching across multiple states. And now I think this is something that's just pretty cool. You know, there's definitely a grant involved, but I think that this is an important process because it's just been this goal of the oil and gas and really fossil fuels in general to start developing and further adding this technology to their portfolio. So I think it is interesting to see where Tallgrass is going to take this. And I will be interested in what other states do implement a program similar to this. I think it would be exceptionally effective, especially at this large scale. Next up, while the number of orphan wells in Colorado is up for debate, it's a little bit difficult to truly reach a final number and much closer to the several hundred mark, the fact remains that they are there and they need to be plugged. We've already heard what Civitas is doing, but the Department of the Interior has set aside $1.4 billion to help cover the cost of plugging and abandoning wells across the country. While Texas has already received $108 million, Colorado is requesting just $25 million to clean up the state's growing number of orphaned wells. COGCC will soon require drillers to show proof of their financial ability to properly abandon a well site, and that will likely be in the form of increased bonds before operations are started. 
Absolutely. And, and Tavis is really kind of builds off that first story you were talking about where I wonder if, you know, we say that Colorado is just requesting a measly 25 million. And, and while that's still certainly not a small price tag, it certainly is when you compare it to Texas, who's asking for 108. And I wonder if maybe part of this reason is that they're hoping that other companies, you know, similar to that first story are really going to step up and kind of, like we said, at their own will, start plugging these old orphaned wells. So, you know, I am curious on on why that number is significantly lower. Obviously, we have you know fewer wells here than um, down in Texas, but that does seem like a pretty low number in comparison to what you'd expect it to be. Well, let's take it on over to the Powder River Basin when we're going to talk about Continental Resources boosting its Powder River footprint. Continental continues to increase their position in the Powder River Basin with a recent acquisition of about 85,000 acres rich in condensate. Continental continues to be a very strong force in North Dakota and Oklahoma, where they're the number one producer. Continental CEO William Berry has been questioned about his lack of transparency concerning Continental's merger and acquisition plans, as well as the purchase price of these recent acreage deals. Barry has responded that the Powder River is in the early innings. People are still trying to understand it. And again, for competitive reasons, I think it's the best way to describe our thoughts. And that's consistent with our expectations. So, you know, Tavis, what I think is really going on here is I think Continental found something pretty incredible that they're really going after. And, and maybe the reason they don't want to be transparent and the reason that they don't want to tell so many people about this is that it's it's their own kind of little personal gold mine. So, We'll keep you updated on this story, and, and good for Continental for maybe finding a little needle in the haystack. Hey, let's hope it's that for them, but next we've got to talk a little bit about Chesapeake. Chesapeake Energy Corporation has announced their recent plans to sell the Powder River assets to Continental Resources for $450 million. Chesapeake isn't sitting still, though. They are simultaneously selling their powder assets and purchasing Chief E&D Holdings LP for a reported $2.6 billion in cash. The Financial Times noted that this deal helps Chesapeake to lean back towards being a top gas producer rather than an oil producer. And really, this company is just trying to get back on the saddle. They had a pretty, I think, abysmal couple of years would be a good way to describe it and fighting bankruptcy. So they're looking to get their footing back and compete with the rest of the big boys. And kind of like you said, Tavis, it's just, hey, any kind of progress is good progress. So keep it on up. Um, but up next, let's talk about an operator in the Powder River Basin, Canadian Overseas Petroleum Limited, who has announced their discovery of a light oil reservoir holding approximately 1.5 to 1.9 billion barrels of oil. Canadian Overseas Petroleum Limited currently holds the rights to about 85% of the land above the recently discovered reservoir. The company has already begun the development process of the reservoir by applying for permits for several horizontal wells. And I think this is awesome because I think the last time we really heard about any real major finds in an oil reservoir was back in the Wolf Camp Shale. I don't know if you remember that, Tavis. That might have been even prior to your time in college. but <laughs> It was, but a lot of that reason, as we've talked about before, is people are not putting a lot of money into E&P, but these recent high prices, I think, are going to change that and dump a little bit more into exploration that wasn't there before. But that pretty much closes out all of the news we've got for that Wyoming area, so it's time we move it down to Texas. Not to the Permian, though. We're going straight to the Eagleford, where Lime Rock Resources began operations in 2005 and since then has made 25 notable acquisitions, the latest of which includes assets from Abraxas in the Williston and from a private seller in the Eagleford. 
The recent Williston addition will add 3,500 acres to the portfolio, and the Eagleford deal is 46,000 acres, producing at about 7,700 barrels of oil equivalent per day as of early January. The total cost to Lime Rock Resources is about $358.5 million, which is all part of their recent plan to purchase more producing oil and gas properties in the U.S. And, hey, producers going to produce. Love to see it. Yeah, and, and talk about good timing because, I mean, they did – when this yeah. acquisition closed, I mean, early January is before everything spiked. So, I mean, I think it's nothing but good news for these guys, and um, we'll keep tracking to see how Lime Rock keeps doing throughout the rest of 2022. But let's talk about another acquisition where Rising Phoenix Royalty recently added 121 acres of oil and gas producing land in the Eagleford Basin from an undisclosed seller. Part of this acquisition process included a third-party analysis of the assets to better provide all parties with transparent information on the deal. PRR engages in deals across all major U.S. basins and in all spots of oil and gas ratios. This is the most recent one in the Eagleford, being about 90-10 oil-to-gas split. And while this isn't necessarily a huge acquisition that we see in areas like, you know, let's say the Permian, it's certainly good to say that the underdog that Travis and I have been cheering for for years and years keeps on at it. So keep up the good work. Hey, this year... I, I don't want to jinx it yet, but prices are looking good. I think 2022 could be the year of the Eagleford. I don't know what actual lunar year it is, but I think it's Eagleford's time. But before I talk too much and embarrass myself with cultural ignorance, we'll just move it on to Oklahoma to the Scoop Stack, where the Rangers Drilling Spacing Unit, or Rangers DSU for short, is a development by Brookside Energy in the Anadarko Basin of Oklahoma. Citation, Continental, and XTO, three of the highest producing companies in the U.S., have offered their endorsement of the project by way of buying work interests to the tune of 10.2, 5.3, and 1.7%, respectively. Experts believe the multilateral approach is proof of the area's quality. And I'm excited to see how this plays out because new spacing is really not an innovation that you hear about too much. It's typically other specific technologies or maybe simpler programs, but it's I don't think it gets any simpler than spacing, so I am excited to see how this works out and if this changes the future and production of certain basins around the U.S. Well, you know what they say, Tavis, sometimes the simple solutions are the ones that everyone just tends to overlook. But up next, Oklahoma's oil regulator to shut some disposal wells following a large earthquake. On January 31st, Medford, Oklahoma experienced a 4.5 magnitude earthquake. Megford is home to a large portion of the state's oil and gas industry, which industry is being blamed for the increase in this seismic activity. Several years ago, a smaller incident occurred and the response was to shut in deep saltwater disposal wells nearby, which was followed by a sharp decrease in earthquakes. The Oklahoma Corporation Commission has similarly ordered a shut-in of three wells near the epicenter and restricted volumes of several others. And now, while this is definitely something that's um, kind of creeping back into the new spotlights, it's certainly worthwhile to notice that it's not all wells in the area needed to get shut down. It's just select ones until they can really find what the root cause was in order to safely continue producing oil and gas in this area. 
I agree. And for those of you listening, if this is news to you, I encourage you to go back and listen to the previous month's Basin Breakdown. It's never too late, and we have more than a year's worth of content backlogged. Actually, I think more than two years at this point. So you'd just be doing yourself a disservice if you weren't on www.rarepetro.com looking at all of the great content that we put out. But enough self-promo. Let's take it on to a shocking discovery that was made in early January near Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. A European Space Agency satellite picked up a large plume of methane gas near pipelines and wells. The oil and gas infrastructure in the area is owned by three different operators, two of which failed to make a statement and the other denied that they were the source. The Oklahoma Department of Environmental Quality was unable to identify the source. However, they remained in search of ways to reduce the amount of emissions, particularly methane, from the state. And really, this is nothing new. I'm surprised we've made it this far because we have the technology to see a lot of these methane emissions. And unfortunately, a lot of it comes out of old legacy infrastructure. Stuff that just sort of breaks down and loses good connection over the years. So we have to stay on top of this stuff. We have to stay adamant and we have to keep improving. Otherwise, we're going to lose the public's favor to be able to do this. And uh, you and I will be out of jobs, Kevin. (laughs) No kidding. But even beyond that, I think the important thing to notice here is that um, this wasn't something that just kind of went unnoticed and kind of got brushed under the rug. You know, this was something that um, when this plume was discovered, it, it wasn't someone that something that individuals really tried to hide and cover up. And, oh, you know, it, it couldn't have been us. It was, oh, we need to take care of this and and take care of this quickly. Um, kind of like you said, Tavis, in order to uh, and maybe that's the theme, you know, this month is is to keep producing oil and gas responsibly and safely. And, you know, a giant plume of methane, obviously, it's not safe. and and it's certainly going to take further investigation to find out what exactly was the issue here. Um, but it's certainly um, going to lead to, you know, further investigation and, and probably further methane regulations in the state, you know, similar to what we've seen here in Colorado, where, you know, older equipment needs to be retrofitted to make sure it's, it's safer operations. But enough Oklahoma talk, let's throw it on down to California where Tavis is, is still out for now, but Los Angeles is weighing in on phasing out oil and gas drilling. California has always been one of the most difficult places for drillers due to tightening regulations, and a new set of rules may soon come into effect prohibiting all new drilling within LA city limits. If that doesn't go through, there are some other regulations in the works prohibiting new drilling within 3,200 feet of homes, schools, and hospitals. Under these new rules, existing wells will still be allowed to operate with new pollution controls and could be phased out entirely within the next five years. And, you know, Tavis, this story, it it truly doesn't surprise me. Um, um, It's an area that has been very adamant against the oil and gas industry. And, you know, a 3,200 foot setback of all homes, schools and hospitals, that's just taking the, oh, you can't drill in um, L.A. city limits just in, in rephrasing it because that does the exact same thing. There's, I'll bet you no point in LA city limits that's not in that 3,200 foot radius of home schools or hospitals. Right. This is a trick. Well, I shouldn't say trick. This is a strategy that is very similar to that of Senate Bill 181 that we saw in Colorado just a few years ago. So it's really going to be a test of time to see if these go through. But as we wait, we might as well get learnt up on other news stories, and we'll take it to Glendale, California, who could see the final fossil fuel power plant built in the entire state. 
city officials are expected to meet on February 8th to vote between two plans. One to build a brand new, low-emission natural gas powered plant, or refurbishing several older ones to meet newer emission standards. Both options will cost over $200 million and come as a disappointment to environmentalists in the area who are pushing for more renewable energy production units to take the reins from burning fossil fuels. And while I do hear their concerns there, natural gas is going to play a huge part in this transition. Many organizations have said it at that point. So I'm excited to see what they pick between recycling or building new. And it will be even more interesting because I don't remember if all our listeners out there remember, but we talked about a story um, in San Francisco that natural gas is not allowed in, in new buildings. So I will be curious on whether Glendale decides to kind of take a different route than their neighbors to the north. Um, but either way, this is going to be a very interesting story to follow on kind of how the transition is happening in the various parts of California. But up next, Governor Gavin Newsom released new details about how he plans to use California's $45.7 billion budget to meet new state goals. Newsom's major plans for the money include fighting wildfires, combating droughts, and reducing carbon emissions. Billions will be invested into alternative energy sources, transitional education for oil and gas workers, and electric vehicle production. Even though the governor's statement on the climate crisis comes second only to the COVID-19 crisis, environmentalists are dismayed that there isn't a more specific plan in place to utilize these funds. It's a little self-explanatory, don't you think, Tavis? Kind of the same old, same old with Governor Newsom, but... Uh... It certainly is. Nothing new here, but that does wrap up all of our news for California. Next, we'll move on to the Marcellus Basin. Repsol, who is a top operator in Pennsylvania's Marcellus, acquired $222 million worth of assets from dying Rockdale Marcellus, as well as $2 million in debt. Rockdale's 48,000 gross acres are located in the Marcellus Shale and have been producing 110 million cubic feet per day. Rockdale was originally formed when they took over Shell's Marcellus assets. However, that is all coming to an end with their filing for bankruptcy and Repsol's takeover. All right, and while this is not the national oil company, Kevin did just look that up because we can't know everything, it is still a Spanish company, and uh, while they are public, I'm still surprised to see they have such a large stake of Marcellus Shale. And no kidding, a $222 million that's an incredible acquisition. Doesn't matter when this is happening. And and I think, Tavis, we said it earlier, but maybe the timing for Repsol is going to be even better. Maybe this acquisition that they made for $222 million, heck, maybe it's worth $444 million now, and they're just rolling in the new cash. Oh, gosh. If the United States doesn't take advantage of these prices, someone is going to. Certainly. Let's talk about UGI, who acquired Stonehenge Appalachia Gath Gathering System about $190 million. The fight to be the top of the natural gas game in Marcellus continues as the UGI Corporation acquired the Stonehenge Appalachia Natural Gas Gathering System for $190 million. UGI deals mainly in midstream production, acquiring and investing in natural gas pipelines and associated compression assets. This recent deal adds 47 miles of infrastructure to their portfolio in the Appalachian Basin and closed on January 31st. And while typically when we talk acquisitions, we're, we're almost exclusively talking about, you know, new acreage, maybe wells. This one I think is interesting because natural gas pipelines have been 
such a a kind of a, a hot topic, but not really in a good way throughout the United States. I mean, they're constantly being bashed by environmentalists, but UGI clearly has seen the the upside to this as as a very safe way to transport a a fuel that's really going to help, like Tavis said, in this energy transition as we move forward. So I think this is a great acquisition for them, and it's kind of a a new spin on an on an old topic that we talk about quite a bit here at Rare Petro. And our last story in the Marcellus, Monica, Pennsylvania, is home to the new Shell Pennsylvania Petrochemicals Complex, which will turn shale gas into ethane. Construction is said to be 80% complete, employing approximately 8,000 workers each day, and upon completion, the plant will require only about 600 permanent workers to run and manage the plant. Shell is currently on the lookout for people to fill all the roles, and this story really reads more like a a job application, but it is uh, good to see that this project is finally coming to an end because this is, oh man, such a huge facility that has been under construction for years. Absolutely. I mean, 8,000 workers per day. I mean, that is just pumping energy and money into the economy. So um, it's, it's great to see that there's, you know, really growth in this sector after so many months and years of just decline, decline, and, and, and stagnation. So this is great that this project is is finally about to be complete, and and it's great to see how many people are, are going to be joining us here in the oil and gas industry, Tavis. Looking forward to it. Well, let's go to their neighbors and let's chat about the Bakken, where Evolution Petroleum has entered the Williston Basin with a non-op deal. Texas-based Evolution Petroleum signed a $25.9 million contract with Foundation Energy Management for 50% of their non-operated Williston assets. This new deal is a milestone of growth for Evolution, who currently operates in Wyoming, Texas, Louisiana, and now North Dakota. The additional assets are expected to produce 2.3 million barrels of oil equivalent each and every day, boosting Evolution's net daily production by about 10%. So that's really one heck of an acquisition for these guys and um, kind of just growth that we've been seeing throughout the whole industry. And and I'm sure that's thanks to these boosted prices that we're seeing. Hell yeah, 10% production is great, but the production train does not stop there. Hess Corporation has its sight set on future returns with an increase of 37% capital budget for production. Their two main areas of focus will be in Guyana and the Bakken, where they plan on spending a total of $2.6 billion on production in 2022, $1.15 billion of which will be set aside for the Bakken, so near equal split there. This increase in spending will result in a forecasted 330,000 and 340,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day, not including Libya. Other U.S. operators are also expected to increase spending on production by 13% in 2022, says Cohen & Co. And and it just keeps going. Prices are up. People are getting more comfortable with the idea of putting less money into paying down debt and more money into producing so that they can get, you know, even more money to pay down on their debt with. Yeah, absolutely. But this is such a huge number that Hess has already come out and announced. And, you know, you got to take this into account. You know, when this story was released, this is back in mid-January when prices weren't nearly as high as we're seeing today. So it will be interesting to see if, you know, Hess, uh, that was kind of a, a stretch goal. You know, maybe $2.6 million was their stretch goal. And now maybe the prices really are up that high. They're saying, heck yeah, we actually are. You know, maybe we're going to go up to $3 billion. So it'll be interesting to see how many of these pretty major companies start announcing these mega, mega price tags on what they're planning on spending in this upcoming fiscal year. But lastly, let's talk about Illinois' court 
vacating the approval of the Dakota Access Pipeline capacity expansion. The future of the Dakota Access Pipeline is being bounced back and forth between the Illinois Commerce Commission and an Illinois appellate court. The Dakota Access Pipeline can currently transport up to 750,000 barrels of oil per day. However, with the recent expansion approval by the ICC, it could possibly transport over 1 million. The approval was recently shot down by the appellate court and turned back over to the commission who are chastised for being biased towards the expansion of the pipeline. And Tavis, I feel like this is really the definition of the oil and gas industry in the United States. You know, you know, try to approve something to get, you know, bigger and better and more efficient, and it's shut down and asked to be reevaluated. And especially in the case of the Dakota Access Pipeline, where environmentalist after environmental review has been tasked with trying to really shut this thing down. So I'm really hoping that this expansion does go through, but it'll probably stay in limbo for the next, who knows, five to 10 years. Oh, I would not be surprised. We're already, what, six, seven, almost eight years deep on this. I remember hearing about protests against this pipeline in high school, and uh, it's been a while since I went there. So I think you're right. It's going to take a lot more time, but let's move it on down to the Permian, where we're sure to hear a little bit more pro-oil news. Regulators such as the Railroad Commission have declared a region of the Permian a Seismic Response Area, an SRA, following a 4.2 magnitude earthquake near the city of Stanton. Disposal wells in that area inject 270,000 barrels per day of salt water from the surrounding oil and gas operations. The Railroad Commission is deciding whether or not to suspend permits for drilling new disposal wells as they are believed to be responsible for this and other earthquakes. While the RRC works with operators to reduce the increase in seismic activity, operators are also busy finding new ways to dispose of wastewater other than deep disposal wells. And this is very similar to last month's story in Oklahoma, where, again, we see uh, a few earthquakes, not insignificant, but not huge either, and they are being attributed to wastewater injection. But the interesting thing is, Tavis, when this was first an issue in Oklahoma, man, Kind of like we're bringing back out the history books. But <laughs> what they realized is that there was too much volume being injected into these wells. So it's interesting to see that, you know, they don't want to drill more when maybe that could be uh, the pressure relief that they're looking for. So I'm sure that the, you know, Railroad Commission is, is certainly going to weigh in on on all the best options. But, you know, Tavis, if I had my two cents, I'll bet they'll keep letting them drill these disposal wells and, and heck, maybe even allow them to drill a couple more. <laughs> I bet you're right. But let's talk about production in the Permian now. Production, supply and demand are all forecasted to reach record highs in 2022 as the year brings with a number of large mergers and acquisitions down in the Permian Basin. Companies such as Aberax are selling off their assets outside of Texas to allow themselves more money and time to focus on the U.S.'s highest producing state. Other companies like Regiment LLC are simply doubling down in Texas, expanding on midstream infrastructure or even exploration. Everything could be in full swing this month, confirmed by Reuters, who said that the Permian could reach record highs in early as February. And, and Tavis, I'll bet those estimates were quite underwhelming and I bet they blew those expectations out of the water. And I'll bet you come March, those are even going to be history in the rear view. Oh, yes. Texas is about to blow up. And I mean that in the best sense of the word. Nothing crazy, no conflict. But uh, I should say it's going to become a hot spot, a very, very popular area for people to produce. 
But lastly, our last story of this podcast, methane is well known to be the worst greenhouse gas, which is why dozens of countries are cracking down on their methane emissions, the U.S. included. The Environmental Defense Fund and private company Carbon Mapper have been doing emission surveys for years and have identified a large source of methane in the Permian. So-called super emitters include well pads, pipelines, and processing facilities which have emitted an unproportionately high amount of methane for how little of oil and gas infrastructure they make up. The good news is that the sources of methane have been located and provide a cheap and easy option for greatly reducing emission levels to hit companies, state, and national climate goals, and I love this. We're not just willy-nilly across the board requiring everybody to make the same changes. We're looking at where we can hit hardest to make the biggest impact, and this is just an environmental story I can get behind. I'm all about it, and I think the rest of the industry is too. Absolutely. And even beyond that, you know, it's utilizing this technology. It's it's not some far-fetched idea. It's something that's very concrete. It's something very much at our fingertips that we can use to start really pursuing these climate goals. And even beyond that, if you fix, fix your leaks, you're going to be able to sell more. You're going to make more. So really, it's a win-win across the entire board. And I 100% agree with Tavis. This is one of those environmental stories that I am fully behind, and I am excited to see the future of this story. And we've got plenty more stories in Texas, but we're running out of time. So you're just going to have to go to rarepetro.com to see this and the rest of the other near daily content that we are releasing. It's not only podcasts, but periodicals. And we dig into every aspect in the world of energy that we can possibly get our hands on. We love learning and we hope you come with us. But that is the end of this podcast. Like I said, go to rarepetro.com. If you don't find what you're looking for, email me and Kevin at podcast at rarepetro.com. We'll be sure to answer your questions. Other than that, I think that's all I've got. What about you, Kevin? I'm just excited to see your pretty face here in soon, Tavis. <laughs> oh, you shouldn't have. This has been Tavis Killian and Kevin Olson. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody. 